Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Good night. Hey, I'm glad everybody's here. My name is Jared Bone. I am the Young Adults Pastors and one of the leaders of our groups. And I'm just, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be starting a new series called How to Date. And I just want to do a quick straw poll while we've got everybody here. Hey, who in the room is married? Where are all my married people at? Let's give it up for them. Yeah, we got some married folks in the house. Okay, let me ask this. Who's, who's single and looking? Who's single and looking? All right, look around. Look around. This is it. Who's dating somebody? Yeah, there we go. We got some excited folks. I see you. Who's dating somebody in the room? All right. There should be an even number. There should be an even number of those. If there's not, I just wanted to force some awkward conversations after tonight. Like, I raised my hand, you did. Like, that's kind of fun. I don't know. I just like to start off with a little tension. I thought that would be good. No, no I'm excited. Uh, Logan and I with Coco talking through uh, what we want our, our series to be. And we decided on a series on relationships called How to Date. And as Logan and I were kind of putting the, the bones on what this would look like, uh, we wanted this to be a series that would apply to all people. Not just people who are looking to date, not just people who are currently in relationships, not just people who are married and have things figured out. We want this to be something that everybody, whether you're looking or not, this can be something that applies to you. This can be something that uh, is applicable to your life. Well, hey, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7. If you want to open up to 1 Corinthians 7, that's where we're going to be tonight. Uh, If you have uh, a Bible, that's great. There's probably a physical copy in the seat uh, in front of you. You're welcome to grab that and and read it. Uh, We have an app uh, that if you go to Sermon Notes, if you search High Street Church in any of your, uh, your app stores, you'll find it. It's a great way to follow along and know what's going on. You can email those notes to yourself afterwards and, and remember what was talked about. Um, but while we're turning there, I just, I, I feel like I need to let you guys all in on, on uh, my background with dating. Um, me and my wife, Tyler, started dating um, almost 10 years ago. Uh, I know I don't look that old, I know. Like, uh, but we started dating when we were 16, okay? And let me just tell you, uh, I'm one for one. Dated one girl, got married. I did it. Like, I, I've accomplished. I've got a, a perfect batting average. Uh, couldn't do any better. So I'm, I'm excited. No, when we were basically just kids, we, uh, I decided I liked Tyler, and she decided I was less annoying than I used to be and that she could see herself with me, so she let me take her out on a couple dates. Uh, like... Uh, we posted on the young adults Instagram and said, hey, what's the story of your first date? And there were some hilarious responses, but my wife posted on there and said what we did. And uh, I, we were talking about it afterwards and she was like, yeah, that was when I still didn't quite have my mind made up about you. And I was like, I had my mind made up about you like six months before that. And she was like, well, I was just figuring out you were less annoying than you used to be. Like, ah, fair enough. I was 16. I'm pretty annoying as a 28-year-old, so who knows, who knows how much it was uh, 12 years ago. But uh, just for our first date, uh, I, guys, Devonair, if t- you can come after, I'll be right down here. I can give you dating advice, what to do on a date. Um, took her to Culver's, okay? Yeah. Uh, if you're not eating the cheese curds, you're not doing it right. Uh, I think I even splurged and got some, some ice cream, some soft serve, and, you know, did it upright. Chocolate with cookie dough is the only way to go. Um, but, but took her to Culver's and then we went to a, a park and walked around and uh, we were still kind of figuring each other out and we didn't know a whole lot, but we were, you know, going to something and going on a date and we would, we'd, I'd pick her up and we'd go see a movie. The first movie we went and saw was I Am Legend. Anytime we hear about that movie, we kind of look at each other. Yeah, some classic Will Smith. 
Um, and uh, we, we go to a bunch of movies, we were hanging out a ton. Well, one of the, the funny parts of me and Tyler's relationship is that her name's Tyler, um, and I have an older brother named Tyler who's 18 months older than me. So around that time was when me and my brother Tyler started having like some different friend groups. Um, we were going our way, he was already dating a girl and he was hanging out a ton with them. We weren't hanging out quite as much. And uh, I remember after a couple weeks, uh, my mom asked where I was going. I was leaving the house and she was, where, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm just gonna go watch a movie with Tyler. And she just goes, I'm so happy that you're gonna go see a movie with your brother. You've been spending a lot of time together lately. And I went, I'm gonna deal with this later. And when I went on the date, and I had to break it to my parents. I was like, I've been dating a girl named Tyler. I'm not hanging out with my brother in an intentional way. Um, but I had to kind of break the news to my parents that I wasn't spending some time with my brother. Um, but, but I think dating's an interesting thing because I remember when I started dating and I was like, okay, I, I want to do this the right way. I want to do this God's way. So I started looking in the Bible for like what, what the Bible says about dating someone. And it says a lot about how to live, how to, how to operate, what to do in, in God's kingdom. And it says a lot about what to do when you're married, but I didn't see a whole lot of space in between. And really it does. The God's word has a ton to say about dating, about finding a spouse. And I'll just show you, this is one of me and Tyler's favorite books. It's called Mingling of the Mingling of Souls, and it has a different cover now. They redid it, it's white, but if you're looking for a book that tells you how to date, how to find someone, this is a great book to do it. It's by a guy named Matt Chandler. Uh, you should look at it. We read it six months into, into marriage, and we were like looking at stuff going, I wish we would have done that years ago. Like, wish we would have figured this out, but uh, it's super practical. It basically reads like a commentary through Song of Solomon that I was always like, it says weird words in that book. I don't know if I can actually read it, but you should pick that book up. It's great. Uh, but tonight, what I want it to be is something that's applicable to all, regardless of where you're at. Um, and I think dating is such a weird thing because you go, there, there's not much in the Bible. I don't know what it says about dating, and really, like it was with my brother Tyler and my now wife Tyler, it can be confusing. Uh, it can be like, man, and really, it's so much different now than it was even 10, five years ago with the way that you can talk to people online. You can have full interactions with the people without even ever meeting them. You can meet people on apps that even 10 years ago you, you could never do. It's such a different scene. But I think, I think we have to be careful. Because I think that God has a way that he wants us to date and a way that he wants us to be in relationships and a way that he wants us to even just relate to each other as people. That if we're not careful, I think that, God look, that, that Satan looks at us and says, I'm gonna have some victory in the way that they relate to each other, not just in dating, but in different ways that we just have relationships. That Satan looks at us and he has victory because he goes, I'm just gonna confuse things. I'm gonna make sure that Christians, that believers, date the exact same way as everybody else in the world. I want to make sure they communicate the same way. I want to make sure that they have the same value system. But I just want to say, I, I, the reason that we're taking this, this series, the direction that we're going, is because we want this group to not just be transformed by, I want to give you a list. I want to give you eight things that you can do. No, we want your lives to be transformed by Jesus. Because that will trickle into everything that you do, regardless of if you're, whether you're in a place where you're looking for someone, you've got someone, you're married, you're having kids, that God has so much for you in terms of relationship in total, not just dating. That I think sometimes when we failed a couple times in a row, when you've had some bad relationships, or maybe you, you've been trying to get in relationships and you haven't had anything, that I think, think some lies start to sneak in that you go, well, Maybe I've just been doing it wrong. Maybe I've been doing it in a way that, that 
I've just been failing. I haven't been doing it the right way. What we're going to look at tonight is the way that God intended for us to relate to each other. So 1 Corinthians 7 is where we're going to be. And, and this is a big block of scripture. And what we see is Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and he's explaining to them in, in the, the previous uh, chapters and previous paragraphs what he wants marriage to look like and what he wants believers to look like. And, and they're in a little bit of a time of turmoil. And we'll read about that in just a minute. But he starts to address them. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. He says, now, concerning the betrothed, and here's what he means by that. He means the people that aren't married. They would have called the betrothed the people that are, that are single, that are looking, that are looking for people to be married, men and women. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So I think this is what he's saying, and I, I could be wrong, but he's saying, hey, I, I don't have anything that, hey, you have to do it this way, but here's my strong opinion. Here's some wise advice. Okay, now it made it in the Bible, so who knows, okay? He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He says in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, they were in turmoil, the church was in a tough time. And then in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do, not, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman, a single woman, marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. He starts to clarify, and it almost gets a little more confusing, so stick with me. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And here's what he's getting at. They were living in a time that was just after Jesus has come back. That he came and he lived his life. He lived a perfect life so that we could have relationship through him. He died on a cross and was buried. Three days later was resurrected so that we could have relationship with Jesus again. And he told them, hey, I'm going to come back soon. And at the time, they probably thought that was months or years potentially. But now we know that at least 2,000 years later, and here we are today, but he's still saying, hey, live like the time is short. Here's what he says beyond that. Verse 30. Sorry, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Little different, right? Not what you expected to hear. Hey, the people that, don't have, that do have wives, act like you don't have them anymore. Verse 30, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as they, as, as they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Here's what he's trying to make them understand. He's saying the things of God, in God's economy, I want you to be so focused on who God is that I want everything else to seem less important. He's not saying, hey, if, if you've got a wife, act single. Like, go find, no, 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 that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, your, your value system should be so different from that of the world that your life should look like you are so impressed with God that you are so laser focused on who God is that you're not distracted. The present time's running short. Look at what he says. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The married man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman, the unmarried or betrothed woman, is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in spirit. 
But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So he's just kind of making some sense here and saying, hey, the the reality is, is that when you're married, you have some legitimate responsibilities. That it's wrong of you as a married person to take your responsibilities and legitimately act like you have no responsibilities, is what he's saying. But look at the clarifying statement that he has in verse 35. He says, I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's the thing. When God's talking about singleness, one of the few times he talks about singleness and trying to find someone, here's what he says is one of the most important things that we have. He says, I don't want you to have any restraint laid upon you. Now, if you're here tonight and you're one of the people that said, hey, I'm dating someone, and, and I, your focus should be on the undivided devotion to the Lord, and if you've got someone in your life, whether you're dating them or you're not, and they are pulling your attention from the Lord and they are a restraint on you, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I think you should just consider what that relationship's purpose is. I think you should just consider it. Because what Paul's arguing for here is that you should have no restraints on your relationship that make it seem like you can't be laser focused on God. That's not how our lives should be. But look at the very last part of that verse. He says, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In your relationships, God's highest priority, bar none, is your devotion to him. Bar none. There's nothing else that God says, hey, you should go out and find someone that can help you in your relationship. He says, hey, your soul focus, the only thing that you should be concerned about is your devotion to God. The reason that he said all of that, the reason that he built that case is that so that we would understand that God's purpose in your life is gonna be at its greatest when he has your undivided attention. Like, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when you're dating someone, when you get infatuated with someone, you, you start to put some blinders on. You know what I'm saying? You see someone and you're like, man, they, they could do no wrong. And you start to view them as something that they're not. And we start to look at them in a certain way that says, man, I, I think I need to start leveraging some things so that I could have a relationship with that person. And we view them in an unhealthy way because... We want to date them. We want a relationship with them. And that can be a dating relationship. That can be just a platonic relationship. But what, God is, what Paul is arguing here for believers is that our focus should be so much on God that as we see people that can come into our lives that may not be a bad thing, but they probably won't be a good thing, he says, hey, don't lay a restraint on your life that could distract you from having my attention. And I just want you to ask yourself, this is not for anybody, this is not for the person that you're considering dating, this is not for the person that you are dating right now, this is for you. Does your relationship and does what you're bringing into the relationship cause people to be more devoted to God or less? What's the purpose? What's the focus? Are you dividing attention? Are you putting a spotlight on God and who he is? What are you doing? That God wants us to arrange our earthly relationships around a heavenly purpose. Um, 
I, I'm putting this together and I'm thinking through what things look like and I'm, I'm wondering about what, what, what are those important relationships. And marriage is one of the most important relationships. And we're gonna talk about God's intention for, for marriage in just a minute, but I wanna put it all in context. Okay, there was a group of, of, of men that wanted to question Jesus and they really wanted to trip him up. They were called the Sadducees. And in, and in Matthew 22, they were asking Jesus some questions. They were asking him, trying to trip him up on, on the law and they wanted to see if Jesus would, would step into a place that, didn't, that, that would disqualify him from what he was doing in ministry. So they started asking, all right, Jesus, so um, say a man is uh, married to the, the, the oldest brother of seven. That man dies in that culture, the, the next oldest son would, would marry that woman. And he says, not just the second one dies, but the third, the fourth, the fifth, all the way down to the sixth until she's married to the seventh person. So she's married to the seventh brother. So this woman has been married seven times now. And they're arguing, hey, all right, so Jesus, when she dies, after the resurrection, after everything happens in heaven, who's she married to? And I want you to see this. It's going to be on the screen. Matthew twenty-two thirty. He says, for in the resurrection, this is Jesus' response, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So in Jesus' economy, when we, when we finish our lives, marriage won't be in heaven. Now, I still think I might know my wife. I still think I would probably still love her but I think that we'll be in the presence of God and we'll be so awestruck that our devotion will be solely towards God. So here's, here's the reality of what we're looking at. Marriage is an incredible thing that has its place, but it lasts for a lifetime. But our devotion to God lasts in eternity. So I think we need to put marriages and relationships in the place that they should be. They have their, their great, incredible place. But some of us act like our relationship with another person is what's going to give us validity credibility, purpose forever, when in reality, what's gonna give us all those things is Jesus Christ. And that will last forever. Where I hope that I die at 110 years old holding my wife's hand. I hope we die at the same time. I don't know how it works, but I hope we die at the same time. That we die happy people, but I hope we go into heaven holding each other's hands. We're both so awestruck at God. We both raise our hands in worship and forget, and just remember how good God is. That our marriages, that our relationships here on earth last a lifetime, but our relationship with God lasts eternity. So I wanna ask you, what are you doing with your relationships? Are you dealing with them like they're eternal and putting that type of weight on them? And let me tell you, there is no person that is ever gonna fulfill you like that. There's no person that is ever going to give you enough meaning, that's ever going to give you enough anything that's going to last into eternity. That's a space that only God is meant to do. That's a space that only God is going to do that for you. So what about marriage? What about marriage that we look at and we looked at the singleness side of things and we see that when we can talk about singleness, God says, hey, don't put any restraint on your relationship. That I want your undivided devotion and attention, but what about marriage? One of the most famous uh, passages in the Bible on marriage is in Ephesians 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to talk about marriage for just a minute. So we talked about singleness. What about marriage? This is what he says regarding marriage. Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 27. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is it 
is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy, that she might be holy and without blemish. So we see singleness, that God wants our undivided attention. And then we see in marriage that God wants us to have an understanding of who he is and what he's done for his church. That God wants us to place our relationship with the person that's probably going to be one of the the most influential, one of the most intimate relationships that we have. And he wants us to view it in light of what he's done for us in light of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm arguing today. I don't think that God wants us to view marriage as anything other than, hey, understand me and my love first. Understand who I am. Understand my love. Understand my forgiveness. The most transformative thing in your life and relationships is to know and experience the depth of God's love and forgiveness. It's going to be the most transformative thing in the world. As Logan and I were planning this, we we both were like, man, I've read some good books. We can steal some stuff from that. We can look at what the Bible says about dating and what you should look for. And at the very end of my message, we're going to get practical about what you should look for in dating and what you should look for in someone else. But I don't think that you can fully understand God and his love for us without, I don't think we can view our relationships without understanding God and his love for us. We can't. Because here's the thing. As we look at our relationships, and even my wife is is a great person, we have our flaws We have our things that we're going to disagree on. We have our things that we're going to annoy each other with. We have our things that we're going to make a mistake. And what I need then is not someone that's just going to tell me, hey, it'll be all right. I don't need someone that's just going to be uplifting. I need someone that's understood the depth of the love and forgiveness of God. Because that's what I need. That's what she needs. I need someone that's going to bring in the presence of the Holy Spirit to our marriage. I need someone that's going to bring in the fruit of the Spirit to our home. I can't imagine doing life of being married to someone and being that close and intimate with someone else and not having God guiding and directing our every step. Because the most transformative thing is going to be someone who knows and loves God. I think we see that in the rest of this verse. When he talks about the way that we should understand relationship, he talks about the way that we should understand God and his love for the church and their response to him. That we were created to be fully known by God. I mean, no, no nothing between us. I, I look back at Genesis when, when God was known to walk and talk with Adam and Eve. That the way that he made them is to be fully known that they, they, there was nothing between them and God until sin entered. The one thing that he told them not to do, they went and did. And what happened? They didn't just bring it to God, they hid. And that's the brokenness that we see in all relationships. 
that we see that, man, I, I've got, sometimes dating, sometimes dating can feel like you're selling a used car. Uh, I sold my car not too long ago, and uh, I'm trying to hide everything that's wrong with it. Like, I'm trying to find it uh, to sell to somebody on the day that the air's working really well. Um, that I'm like, hey, it, it, it does pretty well most of the time. It stays pretty cool. Like, I tried to sell it in the winter, but I couldn't, uh, the timing wasn't right. Um, I'm trying to hide, like, yeah, this dent um, is actually one of a kind. Uh, it came out of the factory that way. Um, I, I'm trying to show him, like, like, hey, this mark in the seat is a Thatcher bone, my son's original artwork, actually. He took a marker. You can't get that anywhere else. Um, but sometimes dating can feel that way, that you're trying to present the best looking version of yourself to someone else and you're trying to like hide all the bad stuff behind you. And that's what Adam and Eve did. I mean, they, they, they hid themselves in the garden from God and God asked them, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? God knew where they were. God was, was asking them a question so that they would self-reveal what they were doing, where they were. And since then, things have been broken and shattered. But the story of the Bible is the story of God choosing a people and choosing us and saying, hey, I love you and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to restore you. And that's what the entire Old Testament is about. But in the New Testament, things changed and Jesus came down and was the ultimate sacrifice for the things that we had done wrong. He came and lived a perfect life. The person that never had to sacrifice anything became the sacrifice for us so that we could bridge that relationship back to God, so that there would be nothing between us and God again, so that again, we could be fully known, fully understood by God again. And that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the Bible. In this verse, it says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That he didn't have to do that. But there was a time that Jesus was getting close to the cross and he, he sh- was shedding tears and he asked God, hey God, is there another way that I could save him? And he still went through with it. And he still loved us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our dirt, in the midst of the mess that we have made. That he gave himself up for her, verse 26, so that he might sanctify her that having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that because of Christ, we're washed clean like we never could be again. Like, like nothing else is necessary. It's just Jesus and his work. That's it. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's not because you and I have figured things out well enough that we could show up without blemish or spot. It's because Jesus came and was that for us. And now we get to take that hope. And we, the Bible says that if you believe in him, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That the relationship with God can be restored again. And it really is that simple. That if you believe in him, you trust him and say, God, I trust that this is who you are and what you've done, that he'll forgive you. And I know it's easy. It's easy to go, okay, I've got that part figured out. I've done that. Excuse me. (laughs) Good night. Shouldn't have had that Red Bull concoction outside. But if that's us, If that's us, God has a plan for your life. God has something for you that is so different that it would 
rock the world, if we had 200 students, if we had 200 young adults in Springfield living this way, not just with their dating relationships, but with all of their relationships, showing Christ, loving people the way that God has already loved you, it would change Springfield. It would change our community forever. It will impact everything. That one of the things that Coco talked about was the five things that we love to do that we, we hope every person does. And one of those things is spiritual disciplines. And the reason that I think that one is, was one of the most important ones to me that I feel like God's been teaching me so much lately is that it's a daily reminder of what God has done for me. That I was trying to hide myself from God and he came and found me. That he loved me that we have some tools over at First Steps, at Next Steps, that we would love to give you of just reading your Bible every day, of praying, of knowing and understanding who God is so that we have a daily reminder to know, man, that changes me because that changes the way that I interact with my wife. It changes the way that I interact with my friends, with my family, with the people that I come in contact with. Here's where I think we can get practical. God is gonna change our relationships through his word. God is going to change our relationships through the gospel and through our understanding of our relationship with him. So I want to highlight three things that we see in this verse and throughout the Bible through our relationships. The first one is that we find commitment, that we consistently see that what God's relationship to us is a committed relationship, that God doesn't look at us and go, hey, sometimes I'm going to love you, sometimes I'm not. No, the Bible says that when we were at our worst, Christ died for us. That one thing that you should look for in a spouse, in a mate, in a friend is commitment. That you should see something in their life that they are committed to. That they're committed to the group of friends that they're in. And not just for the party, but man, are they there in the tough times? Are they there in difficulty? Are they there in, man, there was nobody else there for them and they chose to be committed to their friends, to their family, to their God? Is the person that you're interested in committed to God? Because I would question if they're not, why are you attracted to them? Are they committed to God? Christ loved us at our worst. Um, I think about something that somebody told me once uh, when Tyler and I were dating is they, they told me, hey, when you get married, you get married to the whole person. Like, you don't just get to marry one thing. Like, you know how I talked about blinders earlier? It's easy to see someone and be like, man, that person, me and them are great. But if they're terrible to everyone else in their lives, you're getting married to that. And that's something you're, you're connecting yourself to for the rest of your life. And not to say that that person should have everything figured out, but man, you're getting married to someone who, man, you gotta, you gotta see that you're getting married to a lot of different relationships, so you better make sure that that person's committed to a couple of things, that they're committed to a body of believers. Why? Because Christ committed to us even when we were at our worst. Are they committed to something? Do you see submission to authority? That I told that story about Jesus asking God, hey, is there another way? No, this is what I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Is the person that you're interested in submissive to authority? Are they submissive? I mean, even just the practicality of, man, they're in school right now. Do they take their assignments seriously or do they brush them off because they have forget that? They have a job. Are they submissive to the authority that God put in their life as their employer? 
But even more important, did they, do you see them consistently having their heart and life changed by the word of God? Are they submissive to the word of God? Because these are things, commitment and submission to authority, that you wanna see in a marriage that doesn't just click overnight because you have a ring on your finger. You wanna see signs of it. You wanna see it happen in small ways while you're dating. You wanna see it happen in small ways while you're attracted to that person and you haven't even started dating yet. Why? Because man, I I want that person to submit to God and submit to the people that are in their lives. And the third thing is sacrifice. Does that person sacrifice for their friends? Does that person sacrifice for their body of believers? Does that person sacrifice for the good of the people around them to show the love of God? Does that person sacrifice for you or are you just around when it's convenient for them? And I'm asking that about the other person, but I probably need to ask it for myself first. Do you sacrifice to show the love of God to that person? I think sometimes it's easy to look, kind of look at things and be like, man, if I could just find the one, if I could find the right person, if I could find the person that God has for me, that checks every box, that does everything for me, that, that man, that they're it, that everything would just be easy. Man, communication's great because, man, we're perfect for each other. Man, everything is simple. Why? Because they're the one. And, and I think that we kind of giggle at that thought because you go, I, I don't actually think that. But we've been so trained by so much time over watching TV and understanding movies and music that we go, man, I, I honestly think that if I find the one, it might be a little bit more simple. But in all reality, Christ sacrificed for you when you were at your worst. Because let me just be the first to tell you that in marriage, I've probably shown the deepest, darkest, worst parts of myself to my wife, and she chose to love me anyway. Not because she's this incredible person, but because she understands the love of Christ and she's devoted to him. Let me ask you this, do you understand the love of Christ? Has that been made real to you? Because nothing will transform your relationships like the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And until that is the number one thing in our lives, everything else can fall to the wayside. I can give you a list, but if you don't follow Christ, you're two people just trying to figure it out away from God. Will you bow your heads? Thank mm-hmm. you.